Hey, Craig. Doing fine. How about you? Good. Good to see you. How's your work been going lately? Things coming back to normal somewhat? Yeah. Yeah, good. Good morning. Where's the rest of my praise team? They're too busy talking. That's all right. We're going to go ahead and get started. Go ahead and stand up. Let's start singing. This, this song will bring everybody else that's talking out there. They'll bring them into the building. So. Blessing and honor, glory and power, be to the ancient of days from every nation. All of creation bow before the ancient of days. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. Every knee shall bow at your throne. In worship we will be exalted, O God. And your kingdom shall pass, pass away, O ancient of days. Blessing and honor, glory and power. Be to the ancient of days, from every nation, all of creation, bow before the ancient of days. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory, every knee shall bow at your throne. In worship you will be exalted, O God, and your kingdom shall not pass away. Oh, ancient of days, your kingdom shall reign over all the earth. Sing to the ancient of days, for none can compare to your matchless worth. Sing to the ancient of days, your kingdom shall reign over all the earth. Sing to the ancient of days. For none can compare to your matchless worth. Sing to the ancient of days. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. Every knee shall bow at your throne. In worship you will be exalted, O God. And your kingdom shall not pass away, O ancient of days. Somebody going to do the announcements. I'm not sure, but come forward. <laughs> oh, never mind. He's here. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with Irving Church. I want to share with you a few verses of scripture and make a couple of announcements. And then Jason will come forward and lead us in prayer. 
In Psalm chapters 122, or, or the, the 122nd Psalm, however you want to say that, uh, begins a section of scripture that Israel used to sing as they were on their way to worship God at the temple. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Then in the next psalm, it begins, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. And then in the next psalm, it begins, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. And then it says, Let Israel now say. So, then he says it again, and so I guess the whole congregation uh, said, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and then of course it goes through all those things that we sing about in that song. So one of the things that's interesting about assembling together is just simply that we are called together to praise the Lord and one of the reasons that we praise the Lord is because we reminisce of all the times in our life where God pulled us through difficult situations, where he delivered us, where he saved us, where he made a way for us. And so this morning, as we have gathered, as we assemble to worship our Father in heaven, let's remember everything that God has done for us. All those times where he's been there in his faithfulness and his love and mercy, he pulled us through. I'd like to announce to everyone that the workshop on spiritual gifts has been postponed. Uh, honestly, whenever we set it up for what yesterday I you know I don't have kids in school anymore and it totally escaped me that uh, all last week was spring break so we just thought it would be a lot better to uh, postpone it push it back a little bit so mark your calendars Saturday April the 17th Saturday April the 17th uh, this is a really important event, and we hope that uh, you will do your best to attend and be a part of that. Also, we want to continue to uh, remember that even though uh, we've already provided meals for the kids last week, the church has done that. You still can contribute to that if you would like. It was $35 per child, and so if you want to make a contribution to that, you can do so to Bruce or Charles. Okay, Jason. Um, I think we're going to start out with just a, a moment of silence because I know that there's many people on this prayer list that uh, that are close to you and close to your hearts and let's just take a moment um, for you to pray and over those people and then I'll join in in just a few minutes.
Our Father God, we come humbly uh, before you as a congregation united in our faith and our trust in you, Father, and we are humbled at the, the knowledge of your majesty and your glory and your power, Father, and we, uh, we recognize that we are weak. We recognize, Father, that we are helpless, and we trust you and we need you for all things, Father, and all Every blessing, every good blessing that we have, we know it comes from you, Father, and we, we thank you, Father, for being patient with us. We thank you, Father, for um, giving us what we need, Father, not necessarily what we want, but what we need. And we, we ask you, Father, for forgiveness in our uh, selfishness, in our lack of faith, Father, in our and are trying to do, uh, be good on our own, Father, and we ask that you help us to return to you. I ask, Father, for a uh, special blessings over a few members in our congregation that have asked for, for uh, Michelle Vincent, that I know that, Father, that she's been struggling with health concerns for a while, and it is weighing on her, Father, and we as a congregation I beg you and plead for you that you would mend her body. You, the great physician, can do all things. We, we ask, Father, that you would uh, heal her and her ailment in her body. And, uh, Father, we ask for your peace and your comfort over Martha as she has had a recent diagnosis. And I, I understand, Father, that the unknown is probably more scary than the known. And I ask, Father, just for peace in her heart and peace over her family right now. And, on, and a trust in you that, trust that you know what you're doing, Father. And that uh, and we are reminded that these bodies are dying every day, Father. And we look forward to a new life with you, with new bodies that will never fail and with new bodies that will never hurt. And we are anxiously looking forward to that day, Father. I ask a special prayer for us as a congregation. Um, not that we are uh, try to do good and try to live right just for ourselves, just for us to have that hope with you in heaven. But I ask, Father, that you remind us that that our lives here are for your glory and that the, our choices here on earth praise your name and don't praise our name. They don't show how good we are, Father, but help us to, to magnify your name with every action, every word, every breath, Father. I ask, Father, that your, uh, that your spirit and your blessing would be over us as a congregation, our works. For the, uh, from the studies on Sunday mornings to our grow groups, Father, and to our meetings today on Sundays. And we ask, Father, that, that you would be working in our lives and that you would be working in these ministries and help us, Father, to build each other up through them 
and not just come selfishly for us, but Father, to come as an encouragement and come uh, to connect with each other and to be more involved with each other and not just be living a separate lives, Father, but we ask that you would uh, work on our hearts to be more connected as, a, as your body and ask, Father, for your blessing over this meeting today, that you would be with us as we sing praises to your name. I ask, Father, that you would uh, prick our hearts as we hear the word today and take in what we hear and, uh, and thoughtfully make changes in our lives, Father. I thank you, Father, for your son dying on the cross, and we get to remember him today, and we, I'm thankful, Father, that, that his blood cleanses me and cleanses us and hopefully, Father, we can share this, this glorious and good news with, a, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our family, and Father, and with the whole world. And we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise for you are worthy. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Go ahead and stand as we sing and we raise more songs to our Father. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, or to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Taking my sin, my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in Show great love and bled for. 
Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Beneath the To none but heaven's will No scheme of hell No scoffer's crown No burden great can hold you down In strength you reign Forever let your church proclaim Christ is risen from the dead Trampling over death by death Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead We are one with him again Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Church, come stand in the light. The glory of God has defeated the night. Singing, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. You were despised, you were rejected, Lord, those who passed by, even averted their gates from the side. Such was the suffering you bore for us. Led like a lamb, a lamb to the slaughter, you spoke not a word, but chose to be silent, though you did no wrong, nor was deceitfulness found in you. Yet by your wounds our salvation has come, Yet by your suffering our freedom is won. For God has highly exalted your name. He has enthroned you on high. Jesus, the name above all names. God has highly exalted your name. As in thrones you on high, Jesus, the name of all. 
those who pass by, even averted their gaze from the side. Such was the suffering you bore for us. Led like a lamb, a lamb to the slaughter, you spoke not a word, but chose to be silent, though you did no wrong. Nor was deceitfulness found in you. Yet by your wounds our salvation has come. Yet by your suffering our freedom is won. For God has highly exalted your name. He has enthroned you on high. Jesus, the name above all names. God has highly exalted your he has enthroned you on high, Jesus, the name above all names. You were despised, you were rejected, Lord, those who passed by, even averted their gaze from the side. Such was the suffering you bore for us. Such a blessing to be with you again today. Uh, it's been a special blessing for some of us who were here early and able to engage in a further pursuit of understanding of what we talked about last week and dealing with anger. Uh, Steve has blessed us by guiding us more deeply into those things. And plus, I had no idea you were going to be giving out money this morning to all the attendants, Steve. So uh, I really appreciated that. And uh, Hope more people can join us next week, uh, see what they get. <clears throat> um, you know, if I'm not mistaken, one year ago today was the day we canceled services for the first time. I believe that's right. Uh, one year ago today when uh, we stopped meeting because of the coronavirus. And I'm thankful just to see us here a year later, gathering back together, at least many of us, still missing some, but many of us uh, now coming back together and seeing how the Lord has seen us through. Let's open in a word of prayer. We are thankful, Father, for your gracious hand that has guided and protected us over this last crazy year. And we're grateful now to come before you with your word as the lamp for our feet and the light to our path. Would you teach us these things we so desperately need today? In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting that a subject like speaking the truth, or you might, uh, if you're just familiar with the wording itself, you might be thinking, do not swear. 
So we'll talk about what that means here in just a minute. It's interesting a subject like this, though, appears in this foundational document, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, for all of Christian ethics, perhaps the most important document we have in the New Testament, the most important section of teaching in the New Testament on, on Christian living. We have something here about teaching the truth. You know, most modern treatments, philosophical or whatever treatments of ethics, uh, at least uh, a few years back, I'm not sure what the updated data would be, but I've read that a few years back they didn't have anything about speaking the truth in there. They don't have a section on speaking the truth. They deal with other things, but they don't talk about speaking the truth. And yet our world is filled with lying. Perhaps more so than at many, if not most, other times in history. We are, we are uh, flooded with, with lying in our world. From what we just kind of accept as normal to the things that happen more subtly behind the scenes. I don't know how many of you have seen the, the Christmas movie Elf. One of my favorite movies, great movie. But the, the Elf, Will Ferrell's Carol, character, comes down into the United States, and he's walking the streets for the first time, and he has an expectation of truth. And so he walks by a coffee shop, and on the outside it says, World's Greatest Cup of Coffee. And he bursts inside the coffee shop and says, Congratulations, guys. You did it. <laughs> because he just takes people at their word. And he's assuming that what they say is true. We know not to take advertisements at their word. So-and-so's famous fried chicken. Is it really famous? <laughs> and they just put that on their sign. All right, we understand that. But it's not just advertisements. It's, I mean, do we even want to talk about politicians? I mean, it's just expected. And you have the, the debates when afterwards people fact check <laughs> and show you how many lies are actually told from various sides. And same thing's characteristic of people who, who do the news now. Uh, there are people just just don't care about the truth many times. But it's not just at the highest levels of society. It also filters down to the very mundane and maybe we should say not filters down, but grows up. Because we learn this as children, really. Somebody said that uh, in a Sunday school class, a little girl was asked to define a lie, and she said, it's an abomination to God and a very present help in time of trouble. <laughs> That's what children learn about lying at an early age. It'll help you out. And uh, we just do it. People just grow up doing it, and, and really becomes a part of it. If we're not trained out of it, it will become a part of life itself. It will become the air we breathe. It will become what we expect from others. It will become what we offer to others, too. Just a lack of sincere truth-telling. Jesus thought this was important. It's still important today. It's a, it's a truth we still desperately need. Now, I want to say a few things. I'm going to have, like, half and half sermon today. There's going to be a half preparation, and then we're going to talk about this issue. But I want, I want to do some foundational things today that uh, we won't necessarily be touching on a lot as we go forward. So first, I want to talk about structural issues. And I know this, this may be boring to some of you. I think for some of you, it will be helpful. But what we want to do is not just help you to hear these teachings and, and, and think about these teachings, but what I hope this will help you do is to read Matthew and to read the Sermon on the Mount yourself. So let's just take a little bit of time to talk about this. We've already talked about it some, if you remember. I, uh, I did this when we were introducing Matthew, talking about three sections of Matthew. There's the preparation, and then there's the proclamation for Jesus the Messiah. 
that's where we're going to spend our time for the rest of this year. Then next year we're going to come, and for the rest of the, the section that's allotted to this this year, uh, and up until the summer. And then uh, next year we're going to come back to the final section of Matthew, the, the third section there. But now we're in the proclamation of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we're looking at how he is proclaimed and what that proclamation means. That's uh, chapters 4 through 16, basically. Now, during this uh, section, or, or within this uh, uh, piece of Matthew, we have the, the second section of Matthew, we have these three major discourses. Overall, throughout Matthew, there are five major discourses, lengthy teaching sections in Matthew that are set apart. And you see them up there. I'm going to go through all those. We're going to cover those first three, obviously, because they fall within the second section of the material. So now the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first major teaching section of Matthew set aside for us. And it's very important. It was put there on purpose because it really, really matters for Christians. Uh, and, and as you can see, we'll go through these others uh, as we move forward. Right before we enter into, or right as we're entering into this section of material, you have kind of a programmatic statement at the start. Matthew 4, 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Those are the three things Jesus was doing. And then the proclamation, maybe we can say it kind of undergirds all of it and it's throughout. The teaching and the healing are going to be specified for us in these five uh, especially in these five major discourses in Matthew, but the first one here is in Matthew 5 through 7. So you get the teaching there, and then we're going to move to chapters 8 to 9, and then we're going to see a lot, there we're going to see a lot of the healing take place. We're going to see this basic statement summarizing what Jesus did being spelled out for us as we move through the Gospel of Matthew. So I hope that's helpful to you. I'm not going to uh, spend tons of time there. I do want to say a little bit about how the Sermon on the Mount itself is structured. Because this is where we're taking, we're slowing down and spending a good bit of time here. Three basic sections to this sermon. We've already covered 1 through 16. That's the Beatitudes, the Blessedness, and the Calling. You're called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's, that's uh, 1 through 16. Now we're in the section, the lengthy part, Responsibilities of a New Righteousness. And then we'll finish up with the warnings that Jesus gives to his would-be followers. This particular section, or, or, or the chapter 5, is what's sometimes called antitheses. And uh, I don't know that that's the best term to use for it, but that's, that's the most common term you see. Uh, it's, you have heard that it said, but I say to you. But that impl antithesis implies that Jesus is really kind of correcting and, and contrasting, but it's more that he's extending. He's showing what the heart of these teachings were, not just necessarily contradicting them, but showing, well, actually what this means is deeper. So I think referring to sometimes something more like extension or interpretation is a better idea. So you have the heading of your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And then you have these uh, five, sometimes they're broken apart into six, but we'll, we'll say five uh, antitheses or extensions there. And we're, we're skipping lust for now. We're going to come back to it in a couple of weeks. And we're moving on to oath or vows. And then uh, after that, Charles next week is going to talk to us about these last two. They're closely related, retaliation and enemy love. Okay, so that, that's where we are in the sermon. I hope that helps you to read the sermon. I don't want to spend a lot of our time talking about that uh, because it's more academic, and I try not to do a lot of that when I'm preaching, but I think it might be helpful to you. Now, here's something else foundational 
as we're talking about this sermon that I, I want you to think about. Uh, and we mentioned this last week, but I, I want to specify a little bit further on it. It's very, very important when we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount and New Testament ethics, how to live in general, that we don't fall into legalistic habits. Now, sometimes we use the term legalism loosely, and we, we apply it to pretty much anything we don't like <laughs> that seems a little bit restrictive to us and something we don't want to do that the Bible says or somebody says we need to do it and we're like, well, that's legalism, right? And sometimes it seems like in our haste to not become legalists, we instead, well, let me, say, let me try to say that a little bit differently. I think in our haste to uh, not fall into legalism, we then end up avoiding obedience itself. We throw, we throw obedience out with legalism. I'm having a hard time getting that out, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. We, we, we say, oh yeah, I don't want to be a legalist, and then we disregard obeying Jesus, and that makes zero biblical sense. From Old Testament to New Testament, there has to be something better than this. The scriptures call us to obedience. Jesus tells us if we love him, we obey him. So you can't, in, in trying to avoid legalism, start avoiding obedience. We miss out on the whole gift that we're given when we do that. But if we're, if we're going to do that, we need to be a little bit more uh, nuanced in our, our thinking about legalism. So let me just give you a, a working definition of legalism and talk about what, what it looks like. It's a graceless centering on or obsessing over rules or law in religion. Okay? Now, that, I said that's a working definition. It, it may not be the best. You may want to correct me, and I'm open to that, but we're, we're getting started with something close here. Legalism is a graceless centering on or obsessing over rules and law and religion. Now, there are accompanying signs sometimes that, that frequently go along with legalism, and it, it, not necessarily all of them, but different ones can be, can be present. Um, and uh, these things show up like sometimes people say legalism is when you try to merit your salvation. You think you are adding something. God does some, but then you do a lot, and it works out to where you get to be saved. That is the way some people think, but that's not all legalism. Maybe not even primarily legalism, because a lot of people that we would think fall into the category of legalists would say, no, I don't merit my salvation. I'm not, I'm not earning my salvation. I, I never thought that. So, so what is it then? Well, one of the primary things is it's a confusion about what matters most to God. As we obsess over the rules and the law and trying to get things right, we get confused about what really matters to God. And Jesus was constantly coming up against this with the people of his day. He was saying, you're talking about tithing, and that's not a bad thing, but you've neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness. Right? You, you, for a show, you're praying and you're doing your prayers right for everybody to see, but then you're devouring widows' houses. You're taking the widows' money from them. You've lost what's important to God. That's what happens a lot of times with legalism. It's confusion about what matters most to God. Because we've started keeping a law rather than walking with Christ. And we've decided to, to grasp this in our head and to figure out what the rules and to enumerate the, the rules, but we've lost the heart of God in our heart. And that leads us getting confused 
about the things that really matter. And so you have people dividing, debating and dividing over the silliest things sometimes because they've carried this logic out to the end. Some people say things like, you shouldn't eat in the church building. I know of a church that uh, had a big fight. It's been years ago over, over, or at least they, they had, I don't know if it was a big fight, but it was a discussion over whether or not you could have a sidewalk connecting the eating facility to the church building. Because if the sidewalk connected it, it would be, a, it would be eating in, in the church building. But if you didn't have a sidewalk, you could still have it. I mean, this kind of, is this what our religion is about? Is this the kind of thing Christ calls to do? That's confusion about what God cares about, right? Another frequent characteristic with legalism is self-righteousness shows up. And what happens here is because we read the law, and maybe we really begin with a sincere desire to do the law, but we read all these things and we see, man, that's too much. Or, or you find what, what people throughout history found with the law. We can't do it. It's, it's impossible to do all this. Well, what happens on one hand is, is people shrink the law then, and they identify a few things, usually things that they can do pretty easily, coming to church, you know, wearing certain clothes, hair being done a certain way, not doing this or that that the bad people do. You make this, this list, you shrink that law, and then you say, oh, I did that, right? Look at those bad people over there, you know, and we all know what this is like, we then look down on people who aren't doing what we're doing, and you end up with a bunch of mean Christians, people who are nasty to other people, nasty in their homes, sometimes into deep sexual sin, but hiding that away while they leave the church, because they've decided to, to focus on this little areas. They've shrunk the law and they become self-righteous. Right? That's often accompanied with legalism, but it's not always. Sometimes you have the reverse. You have people who, who know that the law is big and they can't do it, and then they just, they're in fear. And they think, there's no way I'm ever going to make it with God. And they're in despair. And maybe this is where some of you are. You thought, well, I just can't do it. It's because they, again, missed the heart of God for them. And this gets back to what we've talked about, a, an absence of grace. Really, that's in the definition of grace. You don't understand the grace of God, which includes both his, his wonderful forgiveness and his empowering grace that enables us to live the life he calls us to. So that's, what, that's the kind of thing we're getting at with legalism that we want to avoid when we're coming to, to think about this sermon. And when we do avoid legalism, then we, we understand what it is to have a grace-infused, love-infused, obedience, a joyful obedience to Christ. That's what we're after, life. So when we talk about living this high standard that Jesus calls us to, we're talking about joy and goodness in life. But if you're just concerned about the law, you're going to say, well, where's the sideline? Right? Like we talked about last week. And you want to walk right up to the sideline and say, but I didn't, I didn't get it over that sideline. Right? Jesus dealt with this, for example, when the scribe asked him, who is my neighbor? You know, remember that? Jesus said, loving your neighbors at the heart of the law. Okay, well, who is my neighbor? How do I limit that? And Jesus just destroyed the question by giving him an example of a Samaritan who had an, an uh, unreserved, unboundaried love for a person who was in need. But, but you see, rules won't get you that kind of love. 
identifying, well, this is exactly what I need to do, and that's exactly what I, I don't need to do. And that's not going to inspire you and motivate you and change your heart to enter into that kind of love. Rules, we can frequently wiggle out of them, find our way around them. You know, that's what legalists do. We find, find ways to, to shift around the, the things that we are invited to, or the things that we think are the rules, not always the rules. I'll tell you one, one story about myself as a young legalist when I was a fifth grader. Fifth grader, elementary school, the teacher sent me home with some bad grades that I did not want to show my parents. I needed to get them to sign it and bring it back. So I, uh, I was clever. I should have gotten a good grade for this, uh, just in terms of the thought process. I, uh, I took that notebook and I pushed it under the couch. And a little bit of time went by, and I thought to myself, you know, I don't know what happened to that notebook. Anybody could have gotten that notebook under that couch. Could have fallen in a hole that I don't know about down there. So I went back to school, and I told the teacher, technically, I said, I don't know where it is. And so she let me off the hook. <laughs> End of the semester, we were supposed to be getting everything together and, and turning things in. And uh, I went back and looked under the couch, and it was there. It had stayed there. Even though I didn't, I didn't know, technically, anything could have happened to it, right? And I brought it back to the teacher, and she said, it's amazing what happens when you look for things, isn't it? <laughs> she had no idea. <laughs> she, te technically, I, I, now that's an extreme case, but technically, I wiggled out of the rule. I thought, well, I don't know, and uh, told her that. That's what legalism gets us to do, rather than just being truthful people. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, being people of truth. So I, I want to say all this because when we're talking about a high standard of, of obedience, living these things out, I don't want to burden you. I want to bless you. Jesus wants to bless you by calling you into this life. When we talk about anger last week, it's a blessing. It's a gift to be called into a life where we learn to live free from anger. And we're called into a life without lust. That is the, God's gift to us. When we're called in a life of learning to speak the truth with each other. That is God's gift to us. But I don't want you to be burdened. If you see these things as a heaviness, understand the God you're dealing with knows where you are, and he will walk with you as you journey with him in all of this. There's a C.S. Lewis quote I love that I'll end this part with, and then we'll talk about the, the teaching. Please listen to these words. Lewis got it. But if you are a poor creature, poisoned by a wretched upbringing in some house full of vulgar jealousies and senseless quarrels, saddled by no choice of your own with some loathsome sexual perversion, nagged day in and day out by an inferiority complex that makes you snap at your best friend. Do not despair. He knows all about it. You are one of the poor whom he blessed. He knows what a wretched machine you are trying to drive. Keep on. Do what you can. Apparently, the rest of that quote got omitted somehow. Or I, I lost it. Yeah, so I, I've, it's a beautiful quote, <laughs> as it is. What he goes on to say is, is, one day soon, perhaps sooner than you realize, 
And now I'm paraphrasing. God will take that machine you're trying to drive and he'll throw it on the scrap heap. Maybe in the next life, but perhaps much sooner. And he'll give you a brand new one. Ah, there it is. <laughs> one day, perhaps in another world, but perhaps far sooner than that, he will fling it on the scrap heap and give you a new one. And then you may astonish us all, not least yourself. For you have learned your driving in a hard school. Some of the last will be first, and some of the first will be last. So what I want to say to you today is you hear these teachings of Jesus, and sometimes they, when you first hear them especially, they may say, oh, really? I can't do that. Keep on. God knows what you're dealing with. He knows the, the genetic, environmental conditioning you have received that makes this a challenge to you. Go for it, and you will find him working with you. And pretty soon you may find that he flings that whole old thing on the scrap heap and you're walking in the light and love and the joy of obedience to Christ. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at this teaching now on truth-telling. You've heard it that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath. Do not swear at all. Now, if you're coming at this from a, a legalist perspective, you're just going to, uh, at least possibly, you're going to do what I did as a young legalist and try to avoid the word swear. That's what I did. I didn't swear to people. Now, I did cross my heart and hope to die. <laughs> but I didn't swear. And, and uh, it's kind of like with the word, I knew as a kid I could not tell my brothers I hated them. So if we got really mad, you know what we'd say to each other? I can't stand you. <laughs> but I didn't say I hated them, right? Because I was a Christian. Do not swear. Don't say the word swear. That's what you'll try to do. And then we would say, well, I promise. My brother Matt, who was pretty sharp at a young age, he realized there's a problem with this. Because he realized you're just substituting promise for swear. So he wouldn't say, I promise. And we want to get him to tell the truth. He'd be like, Matt, do you promise? No. Nope. And, and he started saying, I give you my word. <laughs> this kid, you know, I give you my word. Uh, that's, that's all he would say. Well, you know, that's great. He's moving in the right direction. But even that can be a kind of oath if you're just trying technically to, to not say the word swear and not say its equivalence, well, then you start saying, I give you my word, and that's the equivalent. Jesus is not wanting us to hang up here on semantics and on, on avoiding words. He's wanting us to get to the heart of life with God. It's difficult for us to understand why swearing is a big deal because to us, it, it doesn't carry the same weight that it did in the first century in the time of Jesus. But for them, words themselves carried power, and they knew what it meant to invoke God. And that's what swearing was. They invoked God to make their words carry more weight, both in legal and in non-legal context. It goes back, this goes back to the Old law, Old Testament, where, where the teaching is given, uh, you shall not swear falsely, so that you do not profane the name of your God. That's Leviticus 19.12. Don't swear falsely, because by bringing God in to that swearing, you may be profaning his name. And so, by the time of Jesus, people, legalists, had figured out a way to, to naggle their way around this oath, swearing falsely thing. They figured out that they would swear by things besides God. And the further away from God they got in the things they swore by, the less weight it carried, right? 
You swear by God, that's the greatest magnitude you can swear by. You've got to keep that. But if you swear by other things, well, you may not have to keep that so much. You can, uh, you can be a little bit looser with your promises then. This is what Jesus is addressing. You find him addressing it later in, uh, oh, hold on, let me jump back here. Uh, there. Uh, in Matthew 23, woe to you blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You see how they, they were making distinctions by what they could swear on. And then saying, oh, what's nothing if I just swore on that? But if I swear on this, it's something else. You know, the gold of the temple, that's something. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the, or the temple that has made the gold sacred? If you swear by the altar, it's nothing. But if you swear by the gift that's on the altar, you're bound by your oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift of, or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. That's the same thing we're dealing with really in Matthew 5. It's at least very closely related. This idea that you can get around keeping your oath with these hair-splitting distinctions. Well, I didn't swear by that. I only swore by this. Jesus is saying, you're totally missing it. That's what we have here then in, in uh, verse 34 through 36. Do not swear either by heaven, Jesus says, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, that's God. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. This is before the time of dying hair. <laughs> Only God has say over what happens to your head. You don't have to say over what happens to your head. You see, what Jesus is saying is you can't avoid God in your oaths. No matter where you go, you say you're going to swear by earth, God's over the earth. You're going to swear by Jerusalem, God's the king of Jerusalem. You're going to swear by your head, God's the one in charge of your head. God's present in everything. But guess what? It's only a small step from there to thinking God's present in every word we speak. That's why he says just let your yes simply be yes and let your no be no we've become so accustomed to carelessness with our words a carelessness that reflects our understanding of the absence of God as if God doesn't care about what we say and Jesus is saying, God's right here. This is one of the things he was saying all the time to people. God is here. His presence is with us in his world. And he cares about how we're acting in our relationships. He cares about how we're speaking. Truth matters to him. God is always the witness. You say, I'm a, I call God as witness. Too late. <laughs> He's already there. He's already witnessing your words. And so instead of trying to bolster them with oaths, we just say what's true. We just say, this is the way it is. And we don't worry about it. We trust him with the outcome of speaking the truth to people. A fundamental shift that takes place in the kingdom life is we stop living a self-oriented life and we come to live a life that's oriented towards God, living in the presence of God, 
for the sake of others. And so we might just ask, if we're choosing to lie, what is it in that situation that's more important to us than pleasing God? And you think about that. If you're in a situation where you're tempted to lie, what is it in that situation that matters more to you than God's concerned about your, your words? Is it human approval? Desire for self-advancement? More money? What is it that we are willing to lie for? Would it change if we understood that God is really present and he cares? Here's the second major point, and this will be the last point we make in close. Vows or oaths are necessary in a world where truth is not already the expectation. You understand that? We have two tiers of language. If I promise it, if I swear it, you know I mean it. But if I don't do that, then it may or may not be true. And if you live in a world where you don't know about this one level, you need that next level, right? If I don't know, you know, he just said it. But he didn't swear it. But you see, if we live in the world that Jesus calls us to, where the expectation is we're always speaking the truth, our word is like an oath. Because we live as people who know God is present and he cares about how we speak. And so we don't need this other level. We don't have to reach up to this level to swear it. Because we're already telling the truth. And that's just how we're learning to live. Remember all of this, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, is directing us towards living in love, learning to live in a, a community of compassion and care for others. And probably if we are lying... Or if we need to swear to validate our words, it's probably because we are taking advantage of people in some way. We are wanting to get our way with our words, and so we don't always speak the truth. That's what lying destroys community, right? Nobody wants to be lied to. Have you been lied to? Have you felt that pain? What happens when people lie to you? Sometimes about important matters. Now I want you to imagine what it would be like to live in a context where you knew no one would ever lie to you. And I want to say to you, that's what Jesus wants the church to be. Imagine being with people who would tell you the truth, and you knew they would tell you the truth, that you needed to hear, even when it was difficult to hear. And they would keep loving you. And you would keep loving them. That's what Jesus wants the church to be.
Have you ever felt the pressure? I know I still do. The pressure of somebody asking you a question that you don't want to answer because you're afraid of what the response might be if you answer honestly. Now imagine living in a context where you are so secure in the love that people have for you, in the understanding of, of grace that's present in the community, in the understanding that we're all broken people, and that's accepted. And so you know that you don't have to be afraid to tell people the honest truth and put it out there. That's what Jesus wants the church to be. And what I'm trying to present to you is something that goes beyond the rule of, oh, I made sure I didn't lie. Or, oh, I kind of wiggled around. Where we're just living in transparency because of the beauty and goodness of the way of Christ. This is the calling of God. This is a community that's to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And truth speaking is a part of this life. That's how we grow in Christ. Don't settle. Please don't settle for the superficial alternatives, the shoulder-brushing, passing smiles. When we are called and dignified by Christ to be the light of the world. I know that some of us have growing to do. I have growing to do as well. I know I feel the pressure of pleasing people and trying to control my answers and my impressions on people to the point where I uh, don't always live in the transparency that I want to. But uh, I also know that the way of Christ is good. And I want you to join me in growing into this ever-increasing truthfulness and transparency where we see together what a beautiful life it is. Let's pray. Lord, please grant this to us. Forgive our sins. We've not always been aware, Father, that you're present with us when we speak and that our words matter to you. Keep us from the burdens of legalism with these kinds of things, obsessing like I sometimes do over words. Free us just to be a people of wholeness and integrity who can speak truth with great love for each other. We ask you for this gift, Lord. We see it as good. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand as we sing this song. As we go into the communion service, let's remember how deep our Father's love was for us. It was so deep that he gave his one, his only son for each and every one of us. So as we go into the communion service, let's remember this sacrifice that was given for us and how deep that love is. And that love will go on with us till we leave this earth. And he always will love us. And this is how deep he does love us. And this song tells us about that. And it's, I just love this song and the words that go along with it. So let's remember that. Mm -hmm.
Thank you, Luke. That was wonderful. He's calling us to a life of pure and unadulterated honesty and transparency, and a life without any kind of frustrations or anger or irritation with others. What are, you think we're from a different planet? <laughs> yeah, Jesus is calling us to a different planet. He's calling us to live life 
in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of the heavens. And we are to be citizens of a new heaven, a new order, not like the rest of the world, the culture in which we live. Last week, Luke talked about anger. And this week, he talked about honesty. And so as we come to this time of our worship service, our devotion, it, it builds our devotion to God and to the better way of life that he offers. And uh, I wanted to relate it a little bit, what I said about this and how deep the Father's love for us and how his wounds have paid for my sins. Uh, I wanted to relate that even though Jesus calls us to a life without anger, he demonstrates that life for us. As he calls us to a life of honesty, he demonstrates that as well. In Luke 23, it says, And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus, looking down from the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness is the giving up your right to be angry, to bring about reconciliation with another person. How could Jesus say those words? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because of his deep devotion and love for us, he gave up the right to God's wrath upon us and his wrath upon us so that he could build reconciliation and bring us back to him. And then 1 Peter chapter 3 says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while he was being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins on his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For God the Father and Jesus the Son loved you so much that he gave up he aborted his right to be angry so that he might do what's good for you. Knowing you're a sinner, knowing I'm a sinner, yet he still says, come, I want to live life with you. Come follow me. Come sit at my table. Eat of my flesh. Drink of my blood and live. This morning we think about Jesus and his love for us as we partake. He who had every right to be angry gave it up because of his love for us. He who had every right to weasel out, 
to be deceitful, to say the right things and come and avoid the cross. No deceit was found in his mouth. And now he calls us to a better life, a life lived in and through, sustained, if you will, by these emblems, sustained by his life in him. Father, we thank you for the bread of heaven. Jesus, your Son, our Savior, our Lord, our perfect example. We come to the table today to love and be devoted and think about Jesus and to take him into our life. Father, let me die, but let Jesus live within me and in my brothers and sisters. And may we make a difference in this often ugly world and bring the beauty of Jesus wherever we go. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Luke talked about legalism this morning. I couldn't help but remember one of my days as a young man growing up in a legalistic environment. I loved my grandmother, but one time in Tennessee I was asked to wait at the Lord's table. As a young man of about 17, I prayed for the cup, but I didn't grab a hold of it. And later she said, now you know, it says that Jesus took the cup and gave thanks for it and gave it to them. And she said, now, I'm not criticizing you, but there might be many people who would. And so, so from then on, I never said a prayer for the cup without grabbing a hold of it. That's the legalistic environment. Now, she did the best she could. She was a product of her environment. Uh, I appreciate and love her for that. But, you know, there's probably a better way to not be so legalistic. But it still sticks, old habits die hard. So Jesus took the cup, and I'm going to give take hold of the cup and give thanks for it as well. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for this cup of blessing. We're grateful for the love and the compassion that you give us. And when we make so many stupid and silly mistakes, that you're there to call us home and welcome us back to the table of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We remember his sacrifice this morning, and it just binds our hearts closer to you. And so, Father, we say we love you for that precious blood that was shed at Calvary for the remission of our sins. Thank you, Father, for the fellowship that we enjoy with you and with one another because of the beautiful life and blood of Jesus. We take this cup and we remember our Lord's sacrifice. In his name, we ask these blessings upon us all.
Terry was having a Terry was having just a little bit of trouble getting the the fruit of the vine, the grape juice out of the cup. It reminded me of something that uh, Dallas Willard said. He said, you know, Jesus shed enough blood for the remission of all of our sins, even at the day, the eighth day he was born when he was circumcised. But yet he, was, he died on the cross because he gave all of his blood. Why didn't he just give that little bit, a drop, that would be enough for the remission of all mankind? It was because he gave all that he had. And now this morning we invite you to come to the table of Jesus, to eat of his body, drink of his blood, and to remember the greatest sacrifice of all.
It's been a pleasure and an honor to worship with you. Thank you for all of you who participated in uh, the service. We appreciate your willingness to serve in this way. Let's remember the uh, Spiritual Gifts Workshop. Uh, praise team, come on up. Uh, that'll be Saturday, April the 17th. Saturday, April the 17th. Please remember everybody on the prayer lists. Seemed like there was something else I was supposed to say. Charles, can you think of anything? Yes, Easter, two weeks from today. So we will have an early devotion across the street at 8.30. Uh, that'll be a wonderful time. You're going to really appreciate it. It's going to be very family-oriented. Uh, and uh, then we'll have breakfast. The elders are going to serve breakfast for everybody on Easter morning. And that will sort of begin uh, us gradually... Uh, sharing a meal together on Sunday, the first Sunday of every month beginning Easter. Of course, we'll have breakfast Easter, but after that, we'll have lunch across the street in the cafeteria. So, appreciate that. All right. Go ahead and stand. We'll sing one final song, and then we'll be dismissed. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant, Moses' righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trials, of famine and darkness and sorrow, still we are the voice in the desert. Crying, preparing the way of the Lord. Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, so lift your voice. It's a year of Jubilee, and down of Zion's hill, salvation comes. These are the days of Ezekiel. The dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant, David, rebuilding a temple of praise. And these are the days of the harvest. The fields are as white in your world. And we are the laborers in your vineyard, declaring the word of the Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet calls, so lift your voice. It's the year of Jubilee, and out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. There is no God like Jehovah. 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 There is
God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet calls, so lift your voice. It's the year of Jubilee, and down as I until salvation comes. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet calls, so lift your voice. It's the year of Jubilee, and now as I until salvation comes. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the message today. Lord, help us to walk in your truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that we can continue to worship in your house. And I ask for your continued protection through COVID. And I thank you for the vaccine. And I pray for those who want the vaccine are able to get it soon. Lord, I pray for each person here for your protection and provision. And I pray that you would bless them, Father. I pray you will continue to bring your church back to what looks like normal to us. Lastly, Father God, thank you. Uh, and I pray that you would be with Nikki, who she's in the hospital. And I pray that you would just be with her and uh, as she prepares for the birth of her child. I ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>